Good evening. It is good to see each of you. If you're a guest, again, we welcome you. It's good to have you. If you would, everybody be opening your Bibles to Colossians, the third chapter. Uh, we won't have slides tonight with the scriptures on them, so I hope you have your Bible. If not, bar one in the pews there, and it'll be 1,047 in the pews in the Bible that are, that, that's in the pew. Uh, thank you uh, so much for, for being with us tonight and worshiping Sunday night is, is a blessed and a wonderful time. Uh, thanks also to each one that helped this afternoon at the teddy bear workshop. It was a great success. And uh, that ministry touches a lot of lives all around the world. And we appreciate each one of you that gives so much on a regular basis uh, in that ministry. And, and what a blessing it is. And there's so many other ways to get involved. We appreciate all that this afternoon participated in the one for all ministry. And what a blessing that that is today as it has begun, but it's going to be uh, as time goes on. And uh, we go all around the world to try to encourage people to serve God. And we want to make sure that we do that every day and every week here at home. And, uh, and so we're thankful for the opportunities that God gives us to impact and influence each other's lives. And let's realize that we never walk this way uh, alone. Once we are a child of God, uh, we walk with a family. Uh, we have opportunities to uh, pray for each other and to serve each other. And today we're reminded of that even this morning. And so let's continue to do that. And uh, we're thankful uh, that we have each other and especially we have God. You remember a few weeks ago, we looked at Colossians, the third chapter, and we talked quite a bit about the 17 verses and how it is in the first 17 verses of Colossians 3 that we find our identity. And it is only then that he then begins speaking about specific roles that you and I might fulfill sometime in our life. For example, in 18, you might be a wife or in 19, you might be a husband or in 20, you might be a child in your parents' home or 21, you might be a father. And then as we studied this morning in 22 through 25, you might be probably, we wouldn't think of a bond servant today, but you might be somebody that in the morning you're going to go to work for someone else. Or the fourth chapter in verse one, you may have people come to work and they look to you for their instruction and for their guidance in the workplace. But tonight what I want you to notice is that I believe that we do a great injustice to what our understanding could be of those verses 18 through the fourth chapter in verse one, if we treat verse 17 as a hard cut off. In other words, it's a shame for God to lay out this, this great, tremendous foundational teaching of who we are in Christ and, and the very identity that we find and then we go to verse 18, or like we're studying today, we, we go down to verse 22, and we just leave all that teaching behind. You know, men are, are really probably the, the, the more frequently do this than women. But if you walk up to a man and, and just in, in a short matter of time, if, if they're meeting each other, very quickly it will come up. What do you do for a living? And many men find their identity solely in their career. You could say, who are you? And they will fill in that blank with their career. I am fill in the blank. 
I'm an engineer. I'm an IT guy. I'm an electrician. I'm a carpenter. Just fill in the blank. There's not anything wrong with that as long as that's not how you are really describing at the very heart of who you are. All of us must understand if we have things right in our life and someone says, who are you? I'm a child of God. That has to be the core of everything because everything else can change. What are you going to do when you retire if you've wrapped up your whole identity in your career? Now, who are you? What are you going to do when, like in verse 18, 19, and 20, those roles change? And there's deaths or there's divorces. Then what? What are you going to be? The children leave the home and you're no longer a parent of children at home. Now, what's your role in life? And we must realize that there is a, a profound deep meaning and impact in the first 17 verses that not only forms our identity, but then it makes us capable to fulfill the rest of the roles. And so what I'd like for us to do is I'd like for you to think about the workplace. This morning, going through the text, it was very clear that for several verses, he talks to the bond servants or employees, and then for one verse, he talks to the masters or the employers. Right now, I want to just kind of lump those together under one mindset, and that is, let's talk about the workplace. But let's go back and look at the first 17 verses, not verse by verse, but let's look at the teaching in those 17 verses to say, what if I was the person I ought to be in my relationship with God? How would that affect me going to work? What would I look like in the workplace if I fulfilled those verses? Now, I mentioned these first few briefly this morning, and I'm going to do the same thing now just as a part of the introduction because we really can't fully appreciate this passage if we left these out. And so I'd like to remind you again of verse 3. We'll go ahead and tie in verse 4 and then in verse 10 by introduction. In other words, and, and if you want to just back up a little bit more, if you want to go back to Colossians, the first chapter in verse 13, what we've done almost every lesson in this series, we can be in 13 under the power of darkness or we can be conveyed, we can be delivered. It's the very idea of sanctification. It's what God does. He moves us over and he allows us to become a part of this kingdom. And life is very different if it is lived over in the power of darkness versus living in the kingdom. And the difference we see in verse three of the third chapter, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. In other words, the person that was over here with their life being ruled by darkness, you made a decision as you were being sanctified, set apart from that world, you made a decision that the, the man or the woman, that their life was ruled by selfishness, it was ruled by pride, it was ruled by the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, it was ruled by flesh, Galatians 5, the works of the flesh. You made a decision, I'm putting that to death is what verse three says there. And now that I'm going to live here, who are we going to become? Look at verse four. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. All right, Lord, I love the idea of you being my life, but help me understand what does that look like lived out? And then we have this description in verse 10 again. 
And having put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. This new man is created not by what we have come up with. This new man is created by, what was it? Renewing of knowledge. We have learned the will of God. And so now we walk after the image. And remember, that's the word for icon. And in Greek, that is icon. And so we become the image of Christ. And so now as we think about the workplace, we go to work and we literally are the image of Christ at work. What would Christ look like in your position? What would he look like to your coworkers? How would he handle situations at work? And so it's this beautiful yet challenging proposition that God gives us here. We remain in darkness or we can come over into a new image and literally become the image of Christ. And so we say, okay, Lord, I want to learn more about that image of Christ. And let's think about it, especially in the workplace. You remember back in verse five, we see some things that he says has to be mortified or put to death. Look in verse five, Colossians three, therefore put to death your members, which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry. What do we have there? Let's take for this study tonight and let's break this down a little bit loosely, but let's break it down into two major categories. The first one, let's just put in sexual immorality. And then the other one, let's put into greed. And notice he says, we're going to put these to death. We left those behind when we left this world of darkness. We mortified them, we put them to death and we go into the workplace. What's the workplace? It's a place where many of us spend more time there than we do any other one place in our daily schedules. In that, we also spend more time around the same people in that place than any of the rest of our daily schedules. And what can happen there? We've seen time and time and time again that boundaries are crossed. Emotional, social, sexual affairs come out of those boundaries that are crossed in the workplace. Isn't it interesting that before he gets down to the topic of the workplace, he starts with who you are. Are you going to be a person that keeps the dead things dead? It's interesting that the third chapter, verse one begins, if you have been risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. And sometimes our challenge is saying, you know what? I was buried into Christ and before I was buried, I repented and I put all of those things to death. And now that I've been risen with Christ, our challenge sometime is keeping the dead dead. I don't live that life anymore. I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you to set up firm boundaries that are righteous and wise boundaries and I want to encourage you to never cross those boundaries in your workplace. Wives, 
don't have a coworker that is a man that you talk with about your husband. That is a huge red light. That is a huge boundary where you say, oh, oh, I've not really done anything wrong. Oh, yes, you've done something wrong. You've crossed a huge boundary. You have, if you want to think about running red lights, where we make our mistake is when we say right here is sexual immorality and we don't want to run that red light. No, down that boulevard, there's probably about 50 or 60 other red lights and you start running those red lights and before long, that last red light will be run and it's too late. By that time, you've already ran so many, nobody can turn you back. You can turn yourself back by saying, I'm not going to run the first red light. Most Christian women that end up in affairs, usually it is from the workplace or from a close friend that they say, all I thought was that I had someone that would listen to me. My husband wouldn't listen to me anymore and I love the fact that he would listen. And I just pour out my heart, I tell him about my marriage, I tell him about the struggles I had and I had someone that would listen. What do you do? You set up wise boundaries. There should never be a conversation with another man about your husband, period. There doesn't need to be lunch dates with just you and someone of the opposite sex alone. You need to be careful about how you set up work projects. Why would you set up a work project with you and someone of the opposite sex after work alone? Well, you know, it's my job and that's just what I have to do. Maybe you need to find another job. People move and change jobs every day for $5,000 increase in pay, for better benefits, to have a shorter commute. Now, what better reason to change jobs than to say, I want to save my soul and my family? Top that one. We've got to put the boundaries in place and make sure that we protect what is the most valuable things that we have, souls and relationships. And so isn't it interesting that as he's going to start 17 verses of saying, if you've been risen with Christ and if you're seeking those things which are above and you've set your affections on things above and, and you have put those things in the past to death and now Christ is your life, the very first Thing that's going to come out of his mouth is right there in verse 5 and he says put to death fornication don't let it happen and you know what you're the only one that can stop it Satan will give you opportunities you have to decide if you're going to run the red lights don't run them even though the workplace will give you opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. You have to establish the boundaries. But notice the second one in that verse, greed. What better environment to be greedy than the workplace? In the workplace, if you want to be greedy, they'll oftentimes give you all kinds of incentives to be greedy. You can work extra hours. You can become a workaholic because you can get more of what a greedy person wants. More. And you can turn around with that greed and you can move right into other temptations. You can move into the temptation of extortion. 
of, of cheating on expense accounts, moving figures around to, to make your business look better. And the list could go on and on and on of the things people will do through greed. You may be working in a place where the culture of the company is greed. That should raise concern in your life. If you're going to work every day in an environment that you know is sinful, a greedy, lucrative environment. What does God say? He says, put to death fornication, uncleanliness, the passions, the evil desires, and put to death greed, which is idolatry. It's so easy to let the things that are to be dead be resurrected. Let's make sure we put the right things to death and keep them dead. And the place we can do that in the workplace is so beneficial. Look at verse 8. A few more things that have to be done away with. But now you yourselves are to put off all these. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man and his deeds. Now think about those as it pertains to the workplace. Wrath and anger. It's so easy in some work environments to have a temper. But yet who's responsible for that? It's easy to try to act irresponsible and say, oh, they just make me lose my temper when they. There's nobody that makes you and I lose our temper. We choose to lose our temper. We choose to be short-tempered people or we choose to be long-tempered people. Because a long-tempered person, the Bible calls it a person that has decided to be long-suffering. And if you say, oh, no, no, I was born with a short temper. No, you weren't. You had parents that allowed an environment for you to believe that's the way you were. And so it became a conditioning. You choose how you're going to react to things. You're not a robot. Nobody went in and wired you to say, we want you to lose your temper in 30 seconds. Nobody did that. God didn't do that. You choose. I want to remind you, and I know I keep saying we're going to have a month of it. And this year we are going to have a month of responsibility. You are responsible for you. You make the decision tomorrow at work when somebody does something wrong and what they do causes you a lot of extra work. You make the decision how you react to it. You can snap and lose your temper and you decided to snap and lose your temper. Nobody made you do that. That was your decision. What about if instead we go to the workplace as a Christian and a Christian goes to the workplace and says, I've put off the old me. I used to get angry so quick. Wrath drove my life. But now I've become a Christian under the kingdom, living in the kingdom. I now have learned self-control. And it's one of the great, it's one of the characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit. The old me didn't do so well at that. But now that I am a creation of Jesus, now I am after His image, people will notice the difference. And it'll be a beautiful and powerful statement for Christianity. Malice, ill intent, 
It doesn't matter if it's against a coworker, a competitor, who it is. As Christians, we don't do it. Notice how the next three deal with the tongue, blasphemy, filthy language, and not to lie against one another. Think about the misuse of the tongue. Blasphemy, of course, is usually and oftentimes speaking against God. Think about the filthy language. Some of you work in environments where that's very common. And so it is very easy for all of your coworkers to know something. They know that you're a Christian, don't they? I know several times in the secular workplace, I've had people to say to me just after a few weeks, where do you go to church? I'd tell them where I'd go to church and their next statement. And then I'd say, why? And they would say, well, I just knew you didn't talk like everybody else here. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't it beautiful the way we go and we reflect the image of Christ and immediately the world notices there's something different. You don't have to go around quoting scripture. Just live the scripture. And people will immediately notice there's something different. Because after all, James teaches us in third chapter, the hardest member of our body to control is the tongue. So we know the world, for the most part, is always going to get the tongue wrong. If we use the principle in James 3, it's the hardest. So we know that almost everybody that is of the world that we work with, they're going to occasionally lie. They're going to occasionally use filthy language. They're going to participate in jokes they shouldn't. They're going to curse and swear from time to time. People in the world, they're going to do it. That's who they are. They're people driven by flesh. But people that are part of the kingdom, they're growing beyond that. Those things have been put off. And their language is pure. When they say something, it may not be the easy thing to say, but it's the truthful thing they say. It may cost them some business. It may cause some people to not appreciate it. But you can count on the Christian of doing something every time. And that's telling the truth. And so when we, we think about going into the workplace, does it stand out? Absolutely it stands out. You can't work around a Christian that truly is living the Christian life and not know that they're not a Christian. They're, the difference is just so noticeable. And then we look at the positive things. Look in verse 12. In verse 12, he says, therefore, as the elect of God, that's who we are as Christians, even in the workplace, we're chosen by God because we've chosen God. And then notice, even in the workplace, we're holy, pure, and then also we are beloved. Isn't it wonderful to know that many times those that are living in the world are not going to love us. They didn't love Jesus. And he said, if you love me, they're not going to love you. But he says over and over, I want you to know that God loves you. And you've got a church family that loves you. And so oftentimes there's that great encouraging description. You're beloved. And so tomorrow at work, when you're not treated in a beloved way, just remember there's an almighty that you're beloved to him. You're holy and you're his elect. So what do we do? We put on. Remember the previous verses were taking off, like taking off a garment. Now we're putting on another kind of garment. It's a change of spiritual clothes, if you will. And we're going to go with tender mercy and with kindness. It's not our place to go into the workplace and make sure that every coworker pays for what they do wrong. 
Doesn't that relieve a lot of burdens? Are you kind of like the, the rule police at work? You know, you're the one that's always barking that everybody needs to do their thing. And how about tomorrow go to work as a Christian? Say, so I'm going to constantly look around and I'm going to see how I can show mercy to my co-workers. And maybe instead of calling them out on the rules, maybe I need to just come and help them with something that they're not doing exactly right. And not mercy in a way that says, oh, and by the way, as I'm helping you with something, I'm never going to let you forget it. Notice it's tender mercy. And then coupled right in behind that, and kindness. How beautiful is that to work with someone that is not always going to be dogging you about every mistake you make, but instead they're merciful, tender mercy, and they turn around right behind that and show kindness. Oh, it's different, but it's beautiful. And then notice humility. That's going to look different in the workplace, isn't it? If there is a place where it does seem to be the, the reigning philosophy, you better look out for old number one. Because if you don't look out for number one, nobody else is. And so in the workplace, we think we've got to stand up. And we've got to make sure that we take credit for the projects we've done. We've got to take credit for the sales we made. And we've got to make sure that everybody knows it. And if we're not careful, we fall into that worldly mindset of work. I want to remind you from the Word of God tonight. Go to work and be humble. Go to work and look to esteem others and raise others up. Go to work, and as we studied this morning, go in with sincerity of heart. You work as if you're working for God, because he says, actually, you are. And then you make sure that toward everyone else, you practice humility. Notice the next is meekness and long-suffering. Meekness is the idea of handing the reins of your life over to God, letting Him take control. Long-suffering, we've somewhat covered with the first one there of tender mercies. It's the idea that says, you know what? As Bud says, it hurts to hurt, but it's not bad to hurt. You have someone, a coworker at work that's making your life difficult. I don't mean this disrespectful. I really don't. But if I could just be so bold to say, stop whining. Stop being a crybaby. Somebody's making your life difficult, just say, wow, that hurts. And that's what we do as Christians. We suffer long. And I guess this is the opportunity I have right now in my life to suffer long. And so in humility and tender mercy, I'm still going to practice kindness. I'm going to suffer long. And what was the next one? And forgive as Christ is forgiven. And you can honestly say, the old me would have never done that. That's right. None of us. There's not a person here without Christianity would do what we just read. Nobody would. The only people that would do in the workplace what we've just read are those who have decided, back to verse 10, they have learned, they have learned Christianity. And can you imagine the workplace with those kind of people in it. But verse 14 
still on this positive list, but above all these things. Now notice the priority here. Above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection and let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which also you're called in one body and be thankful. Above all these things, you can go back to that list of the things to mortify and what do we do? We love God. That's why we mortify those things. We love God. That's why we put those things off like wrath and malice. Above all these things, even the tender mercy and the kindness and the humility, above all these things is agape, which is that decision, that commitment that we make to do what is right and best toward others because of our relationship with God. Agape is unconditional because it's practiced not because of what the person did or didn't do. We treat them what's right and best because of who our God is. It's unconditional. And that's why we can practice tender mercy. That's why we can practice forgiveness. It's not that the person deserves it. It's that that's who our God has called us to be. And isn't it interesting that when he says, above all these things, you put on that love, and then he says, you can have the peace of God. We are never going to find a work environment that's always peaceful. We're not ever going to find a work environment that's always good. We're not ever going to find a work environment where we say, I just wouldn't change anything about where I work. But you know what we can do? By the grace of God, we can control us so that we may leave work and that day may have been a really, really tough and bad day. But we can leave that workplace and be at peace within ourselves and with who our God is. And that is success. To be able to go home and as you're brushing your teeth before you go to bed at night, you look yourself in the mirror and you're not ashamed of who you're looking at. If your co-workers with no connection to you, it's your co-workers, but in this illustration, they have no way of knowing that you're connected to this. If they were given a CD of this morning's lesson and tonight's lesson, that was simply a study of Colossians 3. He said, listen to this. Does it remind you of anybody? Would your co-workers listen to that study? And would they say, you know, I can think of somebody at work. I, I have a co-worker that that whole passage reminds me of them. Would it be you? Or if your co-worker studied this passage, they would say, as a fellow told me one time, I was introducing myself to a fellow and began talking about where he worked. And I said, well, where you work, and it's not here in this congregation, but he said, where, where you work? I said, we have a guy that works with you over there. And I called the, the, the fellow's name. And this stranger's response was, you said he goes to church? 
And I said, yeah, he's been going to church for decades. And the guy said, that's interesting. I've been working with him for decades. I'd have never dreamt that. If Colossians 3 was carefully studied by your co-workers, I hope that they would say, that's you. I've worked with you for years and that's what I see. I see Colossians 3. The importance of this lesson, first and foremost, is your soul. But as we close tonight, and I'm not opening up a whole nother sermon, but if you'll be patient with me for two minutes, I want to share something I think is very important. The second reason this lesson is important is the best opportunity that we have to bring souls to Jesus is the people you work with. The more time faithful Christians spend around people, in time, those people are going to go through times. They're going to go through windows of opportunities where something's happened in their life and they thought their life was all put together, but then they come to realize, you know, without God, I don't have hope. And then the question is, who are they going to turn to? Well, if they've worked beside a faithful Christian for all these years, they're obviously going to turn to that faithful Christian and say, hey, I know I've given you a hard way to go about being a Christian and I know I've been pretty mean to you sometimes, but right now I need help. Can you help me? Can you pray for me? Can you show me what I ought to do right now in my life? And this person that's watched you live the Christian life all of these years and they've had no interest at all, all of a sudden now they're saying, help me. But they're not going to say that to you if you're not the Christian example. And so the soul that could have been saved will not be saved. Did you know that if you're planting a church in an area... One of the key things that you do with the core group that is planning the church is you talk about where they work because that's going to be the first people that come to that newly planted church are the core group's co-workers. That doesn't just work for a church plant. That should work for every one of us that are Christians. Tonight we have about 619 missionaries here. And tomorrow, God is sending you out. And you better believe that all around your workplaces and your schools, God knows because He hears prayers. He knows who around you is looking for Him. He knows who around you is starting to have a change of heart. And He's already sent them out. He has sent those missionaries into those workplaces, into those schools. The question is, are we going to answer the call? Are we going to be who God has called us to be so in turn we can do the work He's given us to do? I know that we're a congregation that's 123 years old. I wish we could capture the heart of a congregation that was only about a month old. And if that were the case, we'd have 2,000 people here in a matter of a few months because everybody would bring somebody. I beg you, this life is short 
and eternity is long. And to die without God is horrible. For your soul's sake and for the sake of other souls, go to work tomorrow and love God. Go to work tomorrow and love souls. Go to work tomorrow and be different from the world. Be that employee or employer that lives out Colossians 3 and watch and see what God can do with that. Tonight, if we can help you in any way, if you're ready to give your life completely to God as a believer, willing to repent of sins and confess and be baptized into Christ, we'd love to assist you with that. If tonight you need prayers of strength, maybe you need to ask forgiveness. Maybe you are confused and, and you got questions and you want further study. Whatever we could do to help you. We don't have it all put together in our life, but we know the one who does. And we know that we never want to stop growing. So tonight, let's, none of us leave here stagnant. Let's leave here with a great desire to serve God better this week than what we did last week. Not because it's a merit system, but because we want to grow. If we can help you.